Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to another episode of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with your host, Caroline Foran, recording from home still because we are still in bloody lockdown. And as much as I would love to be meeting my guests face to face, I will have to put up with Zoom in the meantime. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the series so far. For this one, I'm so excited about this episode. I was lucky enough to get time with Ethan Cross. You might not have heard of his name, but he is a world-renowned scientist. He is an amazing storyteller and his new book is called Chatter and it's about the voice in our head and that's what he calls it. So for me, we could probably like an anxiety a lot to chatter rumination and thinking and worrying about the future and you know ruminating on the past and he looks at this this voice in our head where we spend a massive proportion of our waking life in and how to harness it so what is chatter why do we do it where does it come from how can we harness it how can we bring down our anxiety the power of our thoughts sometimes is something I also ask him about. He just explains it so well, even though he's so massively qualified in science, he doesn't really get lost in the jargon, which is just amazing because it means that you can just take what he's saying and apply it straight away. He's an award-winning psychologist, one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind, and he's going to help you harness the conversations that you have with yourself. So do enjoy. Ethan Cross, thank you so, so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. I'm so thrilled to get this time with you. From what I've read of your book so far, you just, you get it. And not only do you get it, you're also incredibly qualified and you have so many letters after your name to validate everything you're saying. So I'm delighted to talk to you. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Thank you. Congratulations on the launch of Chatter. I I was just telling you there before we started recording that I'm in the middle of sleep training my baby. So I would love to tell you that I've finished it, but it's only a luxury I'm now getting to, to reading that book without being interrupted by screaming crying. So (laughs) no worries, no worries. I fully remember what, what that time was like, and it is not for the faint of heart. No, and I'm sure it does impact the chatter uh, in my head as well as I go through my day. So before we get to talking about the book, I'd love to just ask you a little bit about your background, what you do, your job and your work. Sure. So I'm I'm a professor um, in the psychology department and uh, also in the Ross School of Business here at the University of Michigan. I've been here for about 12 years and I I run a lab called the University of Michigan Self-Control and Emotion Laboratory. And we basically do studies, do all sorts of different kinds of research to try to understand how we can help people uh, align their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors with their goals. And so the idea is that 
There are all these different things we want to accomplish in the world, ways of thinking and feeling and doing. And sometimes we have trouble following through with those goals. And so we do studies to figure out how to make that possible. And sometimes it takes us into the, into the brain. Other times it sometimes takes us into schools, um, into people's relationships. And so it's, it's, a, it's a really fun place to, to explore the mind. I can't imagine a more interesting way to spend your time. I'm just obviously fascinated myself with like understanding more about how we think and why we think and feel the way that we do. Um, but my, I suppose the books that I've written and my podcast and everything is really me sharing my experience and me trying to figure things out as I go. So I'm not here as like an expert or anything. Um, so if I, if, if we ever come out of this pandemic and I can be in America and come and see what you do in real life, that would be just a dream come true. Oh, we'd love to have you. We will give you the full tour. Um, that would be a great deal of fun. Hopefully, hopefully soon. I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that we're, we're, we're approaching the end. So We have more of it behind us than we do ahead of us. That's what I keep saying to kind of help get through the next few months, I suppose. So let's talk about Chatter. Well, as soon as I saw the cover, I was like, this is a book for me. Um, and as soon as I read the first few pages, like I said at the beginning, just your way of articulating things just really strikes a chord with the everyday person who isn't in your field of work. I suppose I would love to ask you, what is chatter and how would you define it? Well, so when we experience negative events, we, we tend to turn our attention inward to make sense of those experiences, to make meaning out of them, to problem solve. And sometimes that works, but more often than not, our attempts to make meaning and problem solve backfire. They lead us to ruminate, uh, to, to worry, to catastrophize which in my mind, I use the term chatter as a phrase to capture. So chatter refers to the, to the cycle of negative thoughts and feelings that, that really take introspection, and which is this tool we have, right? To, to turn our attention inward and make sense of our lives. Chatter, chatter takes introspection and turns it into a curse rather than a blessing. Um, and so, so it's really, it's those negative thought loops that really lead us to feel stuck and then have negative consequences for our lives, right? Like these negative thought loops make it really hard for us to focus at work. They can create friction in our relationships and they can undermine our physical health. And so, so that's what chatter is. Like what I've read, you described the brain and I've talked a lot about it in, in terms of anxiety um, on this podcast about how you know, so much of the anxiety we experience is happening without the knowledge of our prefrontal cortex or that executive functioning part of the brain would you say chatter happens almost entirely automatically well um no i think there's an automatic and a control component i think oftentimes so we experience chatter when we zoom in really narrowly on our problems to the exclusion of other ways of thinking about those experiences that might make us feel better or might diminish how significant those problems feel. So, you know, take, take the pandemic for an example. I think a lot of people are experiencing a lot of chatter around it when they're narrowly focused on just how awful the situation is, which to be clear, it is very awful. So it would make sense that when we're, we're zeroed in on that, on that distress, we're going to feel bad. Um, whether that's automatic or not, I mean, some, we reflexively focus on the problem, but we, we can then also like continue to try to work through our feelings, consciously try to work through it, but not get anywhere. Kind of like one of those hamsters on an exercise wheel that's running, running, running and not making any progress. So, you know, I don't think it's only automatic. I think there is a controlled component to, to this as well. And I think part of the real problem is that many of us doggedly think we can work through the experience by just trying harder and harder and harder to do so. And that often just makes, makes us worry even more. Oh, like I've just experienced that so much firsthand where, you know, I suppose before I had any real awareness about anxiety and how it works in the brain, you, you think just kind of snap yourself out of it or just you think you can think your way out of it or that it's enough to acknowledge and know that you're anxious, that you should be able to think your way out of it. And there's a huge difference between thinking and feeling. Would you agree? Well, I think, you know, I think there, I think there's a big difference between different ways of thinking about it, you know? Um, and so just trying to muscle through it often isn't very effective. Instead, what we find is really useful for, 
for changing the chatter is shifting our perspectives, right? So if we're narrowly zoomed in on the problem through chatter, what we often want to do is figure out ways to break us out of that narrow point of view. And there are lots of tools that exist to help people do it, um, many of which I talk about in, in my book. Um, so, you know, the, the difference between th thinking and feeling are often linked together very tightly. And, and what you want to do is if there's a pattern of thinking that's leading to, to chatter, you want to change that pattern of thinking to, to, to reach more desirable outcomes. It's always really terrified me to learn or to know that we are what we think, because I guess if you struggle with anxiety, you want so much to get away from that. And it's terrifying to think that if you keep thinking anxiously, you're going to perpetuate more anxiety. It's very hard to like pop yourself out of that feedback loop. Is all chatter negative? Do you think is all chatter a problem? Great question. And, and I also want to come back to the idea of um, that it's, it's, it's terrifying to think that your thinking makes you feel bad. So don't let me forget to come back to that. But, but let's, let's start with chatter and is it all bad? So one step above chatter is, is this voice we have in our head, this, our ability to, to use language, to silently talk to ourselves, if you will, to use language, to weigh in on life's problems. Um, and, 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 you know, introspection, turning inwards, a big part of that. I think our ability to introspect and to verbally weigh in on life is one of the great superpowers that human beings possess. Uh, language and our ability to, you know, to, to think about our problems. I mean, this is something that helps us innovate and, and, um, and problem solve and create. You know, we, we're often trying to create stories that, that tell us who we are and, and that shape our identity. And the voice in your head helps you do that, right? The voice in your head can be really helpful if you're trying to uh, figure out how to do something or plan. So if I have a big presentation that I have to give, I'll silently go over in my head what I'm going to say. I'll, I'll actually say it in my head. I'll then anticipate what the really obnoxious person in the audience is going to ask me what question to try to make me look bad. And then I'll, I'll simulate how I'm going to respond, right? So that's all this voice in my head is helping me do that planning simulation and so forth. That's a really useful tool. It can also become though a very hazardous uh, tool, one that leads to negative experiences like worry and anxiety and depression. And that's what chatter is. So I use the term chatter to describe the dark side of the inner voice. Um, and, and so chatter, at least in the way I use it, is always bad, but that doesn't mean that that the voice in your head is always bad. The voice in your head can be really good. And people often tell me they just wanna silence the voice in their head and not have it. And I think that would be terrible. I, I would not wish on my worst enemy a life without a voice in their head. I think that's what people are expecting when they sit down to meditate or be mindful is that they can just turn that voice off entirely and have nothing there. And then, of course, that doesn't happen and you get frustrated and you've launched an attack on yourself, on your on your own chatter, and that's not going to help things. Yeah, well, look, meditation and, and mindfulness, I think, can be, uh, are useful. They've been shown to be. They're one tool. But what I, you know, I talk about in the book that we spend between a third and a half of our waking hours not living in the present. That's crazy. Right? A, th a third to a half of our waking hours is spent floating away in the mind, reminiscing about the past or ruminating about the past, worrying about the future or fantasizing about the future. But we're not in the moment. But the, the thing is, just thinking about the past or future doesn't always have to be bad, right? Like, like I just hinted at. I mean, I love fantasizing about the future. Right now, I am thinking quite often about sitting on a beach with a pina colada that never empties out and my kids who are going to be perfectly behaved <laughs> playing in the sand, of course. It's a fantasy. I'm allowed to make things up. But like I that that's a simulation that I am I'm 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 deriving much pleasure from. Like I don't want to lose sight of that. I don't want to give up that capacity. Likewise, when it comes to thinking about the past. I'll often reflect on the past, right? I'll, I'll savor my 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 triumphs, so those really cool things that happen. Thinking about that can bring me joy. I can also learn from my mistakes. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Let me see why did I say that, so that I don't commit the same, you know, the same offense in the future. So, you know, I don't think it is practical to always be in the moment. 
there's some value that can come from recalibrating our attention and being present focused for sure. But I think if the goal is to always be in the moment, you're working against the way the brain is constructed. And so my perspective is rather than do that, rather than work against the machine, let's try to work with it to make it function more effectively. And that's really what the book is about. It's about how to harness this capacity to make it work for you rather than against you. You wanted to circle back on the idea that you know, you could think your way into a very negative space and, and how scary that can be for someone who is feeling a bit vulnerable to those kinds of thoughts. Or I remember when my anxiety was so bad a few years ago, just literally sitting there thinking about having a panic attack. And sure enough, I had one and I felt like a match was lit inside me and my whole body just felt flooded with fire. And I was like, oh my God, like I nothing has changed in my environment. Nothing has happened. I'm sitting here, I'm safe. And that terrifies me. I felt like if that can happen, will I just lose my mind here? And I've done an awful lot of work to get back to the point where I can, like you say, like my whole goal is not to try and cure it. It's silly to try and get rid of a stress response. We all have it. But like you say, you know, work with yourself rather than against yourself. But I remember the fear I had at that time of the power of your own thoughts. And I remember obviously people saying, you know, well, if they're so powerful, you can think you can think positively and, and it'll be, you know, powerful in a positive way. But if you're feeling vulnerable, it is it is quite scary, isn't it? Well, before I answer that, well, yes, big yes. <laughs> and so I'll just answer that. But I was just going to say, um, you know, your description of that, of that really terrible experience you had was, was, um, was so poetic. It's not surprising to me that um, you're, you're such a good writer. Um, you know, I, I really love the way you described it with, with the match burning inside. Yes, yeah, look, experiencing panic and worry and, and rumination, depression, these are not pleasant states. Sometimes people ask, ask me, well, how do you know if you experience, you're experiencing chatter? Well, I say you usually you know it. You don't have to ask, right? These are these are terribly unpleasant states. Now, um, I do think it's important for people to know. You mentioned that these are uh, this is a stress response you don't want to get rid of. I want to emphasize that for a moment because we often hear that. The goal should be living a life free of negativity, just positivity. No, I don't. This is agree. another one of those things. I I, I could not agree more. Um, negative emotions in small doses are elegantly adaptive. They serve a vital function, right? Emotion. We've evolved the capacity to experience anxiety and sadness and anger and other negative states for a reason. They help us. When I experience a ping of anxiety before having to, to give a big talk or when I know a deadline is approaching, that's really useful, right? The, the, the discomfort I feel motivates me to do work and make sure I'm properly prepared so I don't make a fool out of myself. If you didn't have that capacity, you'd probably get into trouble. And there's actually a great case study on this. There are people who every, I mean, there's a genetic condition where uh, people are born every year without the experience, the ability to experience physical pain. It's a genetic disorder. And what happens to these people and physical pain being a negative state, th these people end up on, for the most part, dying young, right? They, they don't, when they put their hand on the stove, they don't know to pull their hand away. When they start scratching a mosquito bite, they don't know to stop at a certain point, right? So they end up developing open wounds and infections. So negativity is not what we want to avoid. Instead, what I think we wanna figure out how to manage is when the negativity morphs, takes on a life of its own and morphs into chatter, panic, perseverative cognition, technical term, sorry, occupational hazard. Sometimes I, I slip back I love into it. The, I'm going to look it up after. <laughs> the, the jargon mode. Here's one way to think about chatter um, and, and why I actually use the term. So worry and, and anxiety tends to involve negative thinking about the future, perseverative, like you're perseverating over and over and over again. Uh, depressive rumination is about the past in general. And so what chatter really captures is this process of think, overthinking things, regardless of whether it's about the past or the future. Um, but the challenge is that that's what we want to figure out how to harness. And just to go back to your, your, your point before about the thoughts uh, controlling us, one, I think, empowering idea that doesn't just come out of 
my book, but also lots of other work. And it's an idea that's been around for a while, but it's an idea that I don't think everyone knows about is that our thoughts don't determine, don't have to determine how we feel. That is, our thoughts aren't our destiny. We have the ability to control our thoughts. Lots of studies show this. And I think just recognizing that is the first step to bringing about uh, change. Like when my daughters get really upset about something, you know, they're young, they don't actually know that they don't, ha they have a choice that they, there are things they could do to feel differently. And, and what I've found working with my own daughter, just talking to them, not as a scientist or a therapist, just as a dad, I'm not a therapist, I'm a scientist, just for people who are listening, um, just getting them to understand that there are different ways that they can think about the situation. And depending on how they choose to think about it, that can have implications for how they feel. I think that's a, a powerful idea. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about an experience that I observed with myself and my own chatter and that... I guess it's kind of the question is like a chicken egg situation with chatter leading to anxiety and anxiety leading to chatter. Back a couple of years ago, I started to notice this pattern. I would describe it as like a wave of anxiety. Back in 2014, I had what I now describe as like a bit of a breakdown and my anxiety got so bad. I was suffering several panic attacks a day. I didn't leave the house for a few months and it was just absolutely awful. And I was just at home alone in the four walls of my own brain and it was it was just not nice at all and I really thought I lost myself but what I noticed was that when I was in an anxious wave it was like all of my thoughts were tinged with fear so looking ahead to something maybe 10 months down the line was a terrifying prospect for me it was like I had anxious goggles on like everything was through that lens of anxiety so no matter what was going on I was going to perceive everything as a little bit more frightening or me not being able or you know oh I can't I wouldn't be able to deal with that so that was when I was like obviously you know there's a lot of cortisol in my body and my hormones were all over the place and after like a couple of days when that would settle down and I find that equilibrium again and it, nothing had necessarily changed but I noticed that then I could think about the same events again in the future and have a completely different approach to them or feel differently about it so I, I started to realize that when I'm in an anxious wave don't trust any of your chatter even though I wouldn't have used that word because you're going to feel differently about it in a couple of days time when things settle and you know that you always do do come out of it do you think that being in an anxious state where maybe maybe it's not because of your thoughts maybe something has happened maybe you've gotten a fright can stimulate a vulnerability towards anxious thoughts or anxious thoughts leading to that anxiety do you find it's a case of both yeah oh absolutely you're you're activating a when you're experiencing these states you're activating what we might call in technical terms a schema a way of viewing the world through a pair of glasses that has a tint to them and in your case as in the case of many people who are being anxious it's a it's a tint it's the it's the anxious tint you know coming soon to a sunglasses store near you, near you, right? So you're viewing the lens through through the danger. Um, there's a lot of research that shows that when we're in a in a threat state, we are more likely to um, to be vigilant for threats in our environment. So so you're more on guard, and that can perpetuate these kinds of negative responses. But you you interestingly, you know, you did something. You, you describe doing something to break out of that state, which I talk about in the book. So um, when people are experiencing chatter, they're very zoomed in on the problem and they can't often find, they're, they're losing that broader perspective that often has the potential to provide us with different ways of thinking about the experience that can make us feel better. And one way to get that broader perspective is to step back and get some space from our experience. And you did it by some, doing something we would call temporal distancing, or you might think of it as mental time travel. You basically thought, you reminded yourself, well, how am I going to feel about this a couple of days from now or a week from now? I've experienced anxious anxiety before, and guess what? It's passed before. Uh, and that's what temporal distancing does. So if you take something that you're experiencing chatter about, and you imagine how you're going to feel sometime in the future after that stressor ends, what engaging in that little mental time travel exercise does is it makes it clear that whatever you're going through right now, as awful as it is, it's temporary. It will eventually pass. And when people have that understanding, that gives them something incredibly important. It's called hope. And we know from decades of research that having that hope can be a powerful bomb for our chatter, for healing our chatter. 
So this is actually something that I do when it comes to uh, coping with the pandemic and the misery surrounding it. I rely on a few different tools that I talk about in Chatter. Uh, Chatter the book, that is. It's, it's hard when we're talking about a concept and the name of the book is the same thing. It can get confusing. But, um, but I'll do the mental time travel. You know, I'll think about how I'm going to feel in the future uh, once this ends. And that gives me hope. I also think about um, the past. And that's another way of, of working with, with the mind to, to help address chatter. I think, well, you know, we've actually experienced pandemics before, like back in 1918. And guess what? We got through it. And, and we were arguably worse off back then than we are now in terms of technology and and, and, and where we stood, but we managed to survive. So we're survivors too. So that's just one tool that people can use to broaden their perspective in ways that can be helpful for managing chatter. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Amazing. I would love to ask you about some more tools in just a minute, but obviously chatter is not something we want to switch off. We don't want, we definitely don't want to switch it off. We don't want to not have it. Same way stress and anxiety is something that's going to be in our lives. You know, we're unless you're going to live like a monk up the Himalayas, you're going to come up against roadblocks and tension and stuff. And something that has really helped me is to realize that it's not the presence of anxiety or stress in our bodies that matters as much as how we perceive that stress and anxiety. So like you said at the beginning, reframing how you look at it and thinking, okay, well, my body is trying to tell me here, look, maybe you're taking on too much. Maybe this isn't a great situation for you to be in. And I'm wondering, is the crux of it really how you perceive your chatter? So there is some work showing that you can actually change, changing the way you think about your stress response, your chatter can be helpful. So that's one tool. It's not the only way of managing chatter. There are lots of different ways of, of reframing the situation. They, they, some work similar, but some work different. And I go into all these differences in the book. Um, so, we, you know, we, it's, it's hard to reduce it to one there's loads of ways you can approach it. But we don't need to. And that's, the that's I think, the cool thing is that, you know, I think I talk about 20-something different science-based tools in this book. And, and really, the science around them and how they play on people's lives. And, uh, and, you know, one of the themes is that different tools work for different people in different situations. And I think the challenge that many readers uh, will face, and I mean challenge in a good way, not a bad way, is to try to figure out what are the tools that work best for them, given their unique situations as they navigate life. Now, to go back to what you were saying about how you perceive your chatter, there's some really wonderful research which shows that when you when you get a person to think about their stress response as signs that of a as a challenge. So, all right, I, I, you know, I have to give a presentation. My palms are sweaty. My heart's racing. One interpretation of those symptoms is like, oh crap, I'm having a panic attack. I'm having threat. And that kind of interpretation makes it just worse. Like then you start spinning and it aggravates the chatter. But what this research shows is that another way of interpreting that situation is to say, oh, this is my body rising to the occasion. When I'm in a state, when I'm in a state of, of challenge, when something that is required of me, right? That really ex- requires that I extend myself. My heart's going to beat faster. And that's not a bad thing. It's just my body mobilizing itself to deal with the situation at hand. And so it turns out when people appraise their, their these stressful circumstances as a challenge rather than a threat, 
They think about it as something they can handle rather than something they can't handle. That can have really positive benefits for their subsequent performance and how they feel. Absolutely. And it also helps me in those moments of anxiety to know that it is very temporary and it's when it's performance related, you know, it's going to rise and it's going to fall. Like you're not going to feel that way when you're done, which I find is it's more it's more acute and that you'll have the sweaty palms, the racing heart, but it will pass, which I find just it's great to know that. Maybe we could do this as an experiment. If I talk you through like a common issue I have with the chatter and maybe we could then apply some of your tools to it or like hypothetically what you might do. Sure. So this is something that I have a lot. And I think actually in the pandemic, it's even worse because we're not in person with people. So we don't have body language or social cues to know. But I am guilty of personalization to the extent that if someone sends me an email that isn't really warm and friendly with exclamation marks and smiley faces, I will always jump to the conclusion that oh, they're annoyed at me. I've done something wrong. They don't like me. They're mad at me. Or, you know, if a friend sends me a really short WhatsApp back, and I know that's just some people's style of communication. Some people just are busy and they just send something back. So what that event leads me to is this chatter of thinking, is there something I've done wrong? Are they just fed up with me now? Do they see me say something on social media that they didn't like? And then it always comes back to the point of, no, Caroline, you are so lost up your own ass here and they are just busy with their own day and you know they don't have enough time to devote to thinking and worrying about you and it's such an, a nuisance of a chatter so it's something that comes up again and again and I, I know it's common to a lot of my listeners and it is a common mind trap of anxiety that I explored in my first book so that kind of idea of, of personalization and making it about you what kind of tools would you apply there to that chatter how would you kind of turn that around well, first of all, I have to apologize in case I did not give you the smiley faces and hearts and exclamation points <laughs> no, when we okay. corresponded. Yeah. I'm feeling very self-conscious right now. So no, I do apologize just me. I for ha- that. That's my problem, not anyone else's problem. Um, but you actually gave the answer yourself. So listening listening to you talk was really instructive. At one point, you know, you described this experience and how it instigated chatter. And then you said, but then I say to myself, all right, Caroline, well, here's the deal. We shouldn't be, this is just your, your tendency to personalize. You actually just did right then and there. One of the things that we talk about or that I talk about is being effective in the book. It's called distant self-talk. We know that we are much better at giving advice to other people than we are taking that advice ourselves. This is, this is a truism, right? If a friend comes to you with a problem Uh, that they're spinning over, they're experiencing chatter. Most people report it being much easier to, it's easy for them to coach that person through the problem, right? That their friend can't get to the bottom of themselves because the problem's not happening to them. And what we've learned is that there are are tools that people can use to, to essentially think about themselves like they were someone else, right? To think about their experiences from a distance. And that when we use those tools, it can make us more objective in ways that are helpful. And so one tool involves language and it's called distant self-talk and it's exactly what you did. It involves using our own name to coach us to coach ourselves through a problem like we were talking to someone else. So, you know, I'll, I'll experience chatter blips every now and again, just like the best of us. And when that happens, all right, Ethan, come on, this is being, you're being ridiculous. What, you know, and, and, and that ability to talk to myself, like I'm, like I'm talking to one of my best friends, that can often break us out of this of this chatter. And 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 you did it, which is which is what I find so fascinating. The the Hollywood actress Jennifer Lawrence is one of my favorite interviews or examples of this. Um, she was doing an interview with the New York Times, and the reporter was asking her questions that were getting hard, you know, or hard hitting questions, and they're personal. And at one point, she stops and she says. Okay, get a hold of yourself, Jennifer. This is not therapy. So she, so we, many people reflexively do this. I think without without knowing it. And what the science has gone on to do is illuminate how how this works and how this distant self talk functions as a tool that we can often use to our betterment. And do you think that distant self talking is effective? Or part of why it's effective, maybe because you create the space where you can bring in compassion, which we tend not to apply to ourselves, but we do towards other people. I think that's 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 one way. I think one of the reasons why distant self-talk works is it allows us to step back. And when we step back, we um, we have more mental clarity that allows us to view the situation more objectively. 
And so I think that's one of the, the reasons why it's useful. I do think it's also the case, um, though I don't know the data, I, this is intuitively, I don't know data that speaks to this, but intuitively, I do think that we, we often, it's easier for us to be harsher with ourselves than it is to be harsh with our, our best friends, right? So God, I should not submit to any other human being, sometimes the the things I say to myself, right? I wouldn't, I'm not telling you what sometimes I say to myself after I screw up. We can often be quite, quite harsh with ourselves and we don't do that with others. And what's neat about distant self-talk is language in that case is, it's almost like a, a psychological jujitsu technique. It's getting us to think about ourselves like we're another person. And when we assume that perspective or that role, then we start talking to ourselves more like we would talk to someone else. And with that comes, I think, more politeness like you're describing. That, that's an intuition. Uh, I, don't, I don't know of data that supports that, but I think it's certainly plausible. <laughs> I don't have any data supporting any of the things that I think. I just say, well, this is what's worked for me and this is what I've noticed with myself. My chatter comes from, <laughs> from not, not being able to, to talk about data. So if you averaged us out, we'd be a good pair. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Well, I need a bit more data and you maybe need a bit less. Exactly. Would you say that the tools that you use to harness your chatter would fall under the umbrella of cognitive behavioral therapy? Well, some tools um, are are common to CT, but not all. Um, so I would say that the similarity with cognitive therapy is that I very much endorse the idea that your cognitions can change the way you feel, but the specific tools that I review in Chatter don't always pop up in in CT manuals or um, or, or therapeutic interventions. Um, CT tends to rely on things like uh, disputing, you know, um, negative dysfunctional thoughts and 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 other other exercises like that. Uh, I don't know that it involves the, the kind of distant self-talk that we just talked about or some of the environmental tools that I go into in the book. So talk me through some of the tools. Like, Do you have a favorite one or two that you, you turn to yourself? Well, I do. Um, I tend to use distant self-talk uh, that we just talked about. I also use the temporal distancing, which is you know mental time travel, thinking about how I'm going to feel about something that's bothering me in the future. Or, or recognizing like going back in time and realizing I've gotten through similar things in the past. Uh, I also, one of the things I talk in, about in the book is about how other people can be either amazingly helpful or harmful when it comes to our chatter, even our most well-intentioned others. Uh, depending on who we talk to and how we talk to them, those can, conversations can help or harm us. And um, so I'm really, really careful about who I approach for help when it comes to my chatter. Uh, I have like a board of advisors, so to speak, of, you know, like three or four people I approach when it comes to work-related chatter and then a different people that I approach when it's chatter in my personal life. So I rely on my, my social network. Uh, but, but importantly, I, I don't just talk haphazardly to people. Like there are some people in my life who I love very much and who I know love me. And I don't talk to them about my chatter because I, I don't think they're going to help me work through it very well. Would you say that in, in harnessing your chatter or at least calming it down or taking you out of a, a negative chatter, do you find that it helps to bring other people into it? I suppose you have tools that you can apply yourself and then you have tools that you apply with other people. Yeah. So I organize the, the tools into like there are three categories. There are things you could do on your own. Then there are the, another category or bucket of tools consist of ways of interacting with other people to harness your chatter. And there are a, a few different things that are relevant there. And then there are ways of navigating your, your physical spaces and your environment that can also help with our chatter from the outside in. And so one example there is, um, is actually creating order in our environment. Oftentimes when we experience chatter, we feel like we don't have control of our mind. Our thoughts feel out of control and disordered. And what we've learned is that people can compensate for that experience by, by trying to create order around them. And so you'll often, uh, there's a great example of Rafael Nadal, the famous tennis player, for example, saying that the hardest thing he battles to do on the tennis court is, is, is control the voices in his head. And the way, he, the way he does so is by performing structured rituals before and during each match. And, and those rituals consist of very structured sequences of behavior that he does the same way every time. They're very ordered. 
And, and that's, an, that's one example of how you can leverage your physical spaces. I think Michael Phelps is the same. Yeah, a lot of athletes engage in these kinds of rituals. You know, I, I'm not the most orderly guy. And, but, but interestingly, when I was writing this book, I found that I would often, when I was experiencing a, a moment of chatter, paragraphs that wouldn't come out just right or a looming deadline, I'd find myself walking to the kitchen and scrubbing down all the pots and pans and then ni- nicely putting them away. Incredibly uh, out of character for me but I did it spontaneously and it helped. And it also improved my relationship because my wife was much happier. So um, so that's one example of a tool that, that people can use. So, so here's the, the neat thing. And what really gets me so excited about this science is this, this idea that tools exist all around us, inside us, in our relationships and in the world. And, and what I try, and I think some of us use some of those tools without even knowing it, right? Like, there are studies which show that when people experience chatter, many people spontaneously start cleaning around them, right? Or, or as you just did before, Caroline, like you talked to yourself using your own name. I don't think you were probably aware of doing it. You just did it, right? And so what's neat is that what scientists have done is they've, they've identified these tools and then carefully specified how they work so that you can ID them and now you know if someone you know reads about them, okay, this is a tool and here's how I can I can take control of it. Um, so 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 those are those are the the, the space of the tools. Um, those are the three categories and lots of tools in each one. I think a lot of people listening will want to probably get in control of their chatter, but is there anything to be said for letting your chatter or giving it the chance or the opportunity to really run wild and go to the furthest you know, ends of the earth it wants to go to in terms of coming up with creative ideas. And it sounds counterproductive, but sometimes even when it comes to my worries, just letting them, you know, work themselves out and chat away and, and, you know, come up with all these terrible things that could go wrong. Sometimes that helps me to, uh, I suppose, like you said, when you're talking about giving a speech, you know, to confront the worst possible case scenario helps you to prepare in that event. So do you think we should, you know, allow our chatter the opportunity to go free sometimes? Well, you know, one, te- I don't talk about this in the book, but one technique that's often espoused is to like give yourself some time each day, right? If you're trying to like systematically work through your chat and reduce it and you don't want it coloring every part of your day, set aside a certain amount of time to just let it go free. I haven't done that personally. I haven't studied that, but that's one thing that you often hear spoken about. One one experience that I've had is sometimes sometimes just saying what's worrying you out loud in some cases, it's it, it's so ridiculous that once you articulate it, you realize, oh, I'm really being objective. It's almost like articulating this makes you realize how how far away you're slipping, and and I think that can be useful. And so sometimes, I mean, I found that on a personal level to be a useful tool. Uh, just just trying to, you know, I mean, the the mind is capable of all sorts of gymnastics. I'm, I'm I'm sure you've experienced, right? Like the things that we could think about um, are sometimes really far removed from reality. And what's interesting about when the, the experience of chatter is we lose touch with that, right? We're losing the perspective to know that what we're thinking about is so unrealistic that it doesn't pay to worry about. And I think that's where the opportunity lies to help ourselves, which is to try to regain that perspective. And so, so I spent a lot of time talking about ways people can do that in the book. What were you most surprised to learn about chatter in not just when it comes to yourself, but in all the research and the work that you've done and looking at all these studies, was there anything that really stuck out at you? Uh, I continue to be fascinated by the power of language to, to help us harness chatter. The, The idea that these small linguistic shifts, like thinking about my problems using my own name rather than I can have implications for how I think, feel, and behave. I think that's really, really interesting, as is the the fact that many people spontaneously do this without even knowing it. So, And there are records of that throughout history, Julius Caesar, Henry Adams, um, and many contemporary figures too. Uh, so that was really interesting. But, but probably, um, you know, I talk a, a bit about lucky charms and superstitions and how how simply believing that you're going to feel better can often have that effect. And that to me remains a, just a mind-blowing set of, of research findings. I titled that chapter of the book Mind Magic. 
it's magical in in a not in a supernatural sense, but just in a kid in the candy store. Hard for me to believe that me giving you a sugar pill, a pill that has nothing in it, and if I tell you, Caroline, that take this every day, you'll feel better. And if you believe me, it has that effect. For, not for not for every kind of 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 condition, but certainly for mild and moderate forms of of chatter. There's a lot of data suggesting that. If you can get a person to believe that they're going to feel better, they often do. And what that tells me is that um, the the power of the the potential of the human mind to heal itself is quite quite incredible. But we often don't have the the ability to harness that power. It's almost like we have to be tricked into believing that we can heal ourselves. And and, and so that to me is just. Um, a fascinating idea. If we do manage to harness our chatter, what can we expect? How will it improve our experience? Well, you know, there, there are three core domains that chatter that chatter undermines us. It it makes it hard to, to focus at work and, and on the ball field and at school. So it can interfere with our ability to think well and perform well. Uh, it can also create friction in our social relationships, right? When we're experiencing chatter, we often we often want to talk about it with others. And we talk about it, and then we keep talking about it, and we keep talking about it. And that can have the unfortunate consequence of sometimes pushing away those we love and those who love us. And then finally, chatter can undermine our physical health because what our chatter does essentially is it, it, it helps us create and maintain a stress response over time. So we experience something negative, but then we constantly reactivate that negative experience by thinking about it over and over, which leads it to remain active in our head in ways that that can get under our skin and contribute to, to physical disease, things like cardiovascular disease and certain forms of cancer and other physical ailments. And so basically, if you reduce the chatter, all of those other areas of your life improve. That's, that's the idea. So I think the stakes here are quite high. Um, but but so is the potential uh, for people to to manage this condition effectively. So, for those people who experience chatter from time to time, which I would argue is almost all of us, the good news is that there are things you can do to manage it. And of course, if it gets truly extreme, and eventually gets into the territory of what we might call mental illness, clinical levels of anxiety, depression, that's a situation where I would advocate seeing a mental health professional to help with that because the kinds of interventions that you're going to get there are going to be a lot more intensive and will will help you get back on track more quickly. And do you think that chatter is something we should be mindful of? You know, even when our chatter is good, should we be aware of managing it and harnessing it? Or is it something that you think we only tend to look to address when it's a problem? In my head, I think of chatter as 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 not good. And so when we're having the chatter, we want to try to we should try to manage it. Um, but again, the managing the chatter doesn't mean silencing the voice in your head. The managing the chatter means getting rid of those negative thought loops so that you can free up that voice in your head to do what it was, to do what it does best, to, to help you problem solve, innovate, create, control yourself. Um, so I think that's a challenge. And before I let you go, I'm so grateful for your time. And I know you have to get back to your family and your work. But if there was one thing that you hope people would take away from this book, what would it be? That chatter is incredibly common, but that tools exist. Science-based tools exist uh, to help. And there's no single magic tool. Different tools work for different people in different situations. And the challenge is for you to figure out what are the combinations of tools that work best for you. And would you say you've managed to harness your own chatter? I'd say that I use these tools and and they certainly help. Does that allow me to never experience chatter? No, I'm human. Preventing it from ever being triggered is is something that is really challenging, but does do I think I'm pretty good at it? Yeah. Amazing. And we all will be when we finish reading your book. Um, Ethan, thank you so much for making the time to chat to me. I'm I'm just fascinated by the whole concept and also, like you said there, I didn't even realize I was probably already engaging in some of the tools like temporal distancing and to put a framework on it helps, I think, people even more because they feel like they're proactively doing something about their anxiety as opposed to just kind of wallowing in it. There's so much to digest in this book. There's so many tools and um, I can't wait to put them into action myself. And 
yeah, massive congratulations. And hopefully we will see you on this side of the pond sometime in the near future to, to help with all of our chatter in real life. Oh, I would love that. I look forward to that day. And thanks so much for, for having me. It's been, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun chatting. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.